I'm not like a regular mom, I'm a cool mom. 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 Today's episode is sponsored by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Go to oseamalibu.com and use the code COOLMOMS at checkout for $10 off your purchase of $90 or more. The offer is valid through January 31st, 2021, so we are going to get you right for the new year. Now, it's free shipping on U.S. orders of $75 or more, and there's always free samples in every purchase. Hey, cool moms. So last episode, I discussed a lot about family and family dynamic and just some of the generational stuff that we all are working through, uh, which still really informs what I've been thinking about recently in motherhood now that the holiday season is coming up and all of us are really having to be more thoughtful and considerate of how we celebrate holidays if we celebrate holidays if these holidays still resonate with the direction in which we want to move our families so that's what I've been thinking about and as much as I would like to really eradicate all that which no longer serves me. I'm also realizing that so many things are difficult to avoid, you know, no matter, well, I won't say no matter. And and at least in my particular case with the school that I'm sending Sergeant to, although it's very new age, liberal, you know, all those buzzwords that allow the tuition to be so high, they still talk about traditional holidays because sergeant came home and he's singing like holiday songs and i was shocked to say the least because i'm like ain't no christmas around here we're not we're not doing christmas we're not we're not you know celebrating and recognizing thanksgiving because of the obvious genocide implications of the holiday however i also don't want to foster or facilitate this home environment that feels anti these holidays because I think that uh, they are significant to our both sides of his family um, and his extended family and also just where we live socially. Um, it's just kind of woven into the fabric of American culture and society. Right. But I'm still like not interested in buying presents. So uh, now I've kind of found myself in this place where I'm I am figuring out how to establish these new holiday traditions or just new traditions on how we want to honor the seasons and making sure that they're coming from a place of gratitude and not consumerism and capitalism, which is my biggest issue I take with a lot of mainstream holidays, Um, not their actual core values and meanings, just for clarity. Uh, So, but you know, something that Let's like add another layer to that. Right. So I'm trying to figure out what the new traditions are. I am trying to just carve out how how our family looks. But as a solo parent, I think there's still this idea or this space that I want to leave for the partner that I'm manifesting that I'm hoping to manifest and wanting to also like, I wonder what our traditions will be like as a family and how will these potentially change once once I do have a partner? Um, or someone in the house. So 
this is what I've been thinking about. <laughs> this is what the holidays is kind of unearthed for me. So I'll keep y'all posted on what I decide to do. I will say that we had every intention of having a feast this Sunday with a really great family friend, Antoinette, but I ended up just getting my hair braided instead. So I don't know. It's a work in progress. Now, speaking of partners, it is still cuffing season. Uh, we are just really crawling into cuffing season. And it's also still a pandemic. Uh, we are still in the panty. So I probably won't have anyone in my panties. However, I have found myself a pen pal, <laughs> which is giving me all of my tween fantasies uh, come true. I, I don't know. I... I don't want to reveal too much because I'm enjoying the newness and like the fun of it all. But I will say that I connected with this person who doesn't live in the States and I'm really just enjoying uh, how that takes away a layer of expectation on top of the fact that we're also like globally dealing with some fuck shit. So it's not, there's no expectation of someone hopping on a flight or anything. It's just about, Hey, I think you're cool. Hey, I think you're interesting. Hey, I'm, there's a mutual attraction. Let's just chat about things randomly from time to time. So I'm loving it. I'm loving, I'm loving, this is giving me all the life that I really have space for, quite honestly, in terms of a significant other, where there's just like a person who thinks you're hot and asks you how you are and sends you cool stuff. So I'm digging it, baby steps. And aside from that, there's been some good entertainment happening, like good content, good TV. We had the versus battle with Jeezy and Gucci, which was a huge moment Yeah, uh, for the culture of a lot of culture, black culture, hip hop culture, music culture, S Southern Atlanta culture as a person who grew up in, uh, in North Atlanta, in Gwinnett, in Georgia. I don't know. Nostalgia is such a fucking drug, man. I just was in my living room jumping up and down, getting drunk and having a party of one and trying to also get Sergeant to be as hype as I was about the battle and all the hits. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also laughing that Jeezy actually had a hit called My President is Black. And it was good. And I still was singing along to it. So whatever. That was great. And then aside from that battle, spoiler alert, this is a spoiler alert. I have been so deep into the undoing. And after a bunch of people kept recommending it, I finally caved and got this expensive ass HBO subscription. And I'm so happy that I did. Because... You know, Nicole Kidman gives me all of the white woman fantasy that I want out of a drama between her and, oh, thank you. Between her, between Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, like, I know the show is A1. Oh, and Sarah Paulson, of course. Okay, that's, that's my trifecta of white actresses <laughs> I know that it's going to be quality content and she does not disappoint and I am now on like a mid episode four I actually paused the episode to record this you're welcome and when I get back so I'm going to finish episode four and I cannot wait 
Can we please, please, in the comments, talk about the undoing and the plots and the turns? Because it's also making me question, like, do you stay with your man if he's suspected of murder? Like, what's the line in a relationship? What's the final straw? Because we all think we know what our line is, but that line can get pushed. And I'm seeing that. But I also know there's twists and turns that are happening that I'm not even privy to yet. So, yes, please, let's chat about the undoing in the comments. Up next is Carla Lolly Music. Well, I am super excited because I am such a uh, fangirl and in much admiration of our next guest on Cool Moms. Carla Lolly Music is the food editor at large for Bon Appetit magazine. She is a published cookbook author uh, and working on her second book now and also of course, a mother to two sons that one of which is a teenager now. Yeah. Wait, they're 10 and 10 and 16, 11 and 16, 11 and 16. Amazing. Carla, welcome to cool moms. Thanks for having me. So, so excited to have you. Um, our inaugural question is always, what is your astrological sign? And does that mean anything to you? We'll kick it, we'll kick it off light and kooky. Perfect. I'm a Leo and it does mean a lot to me, actually. I definitely identify with like the fire sign and sort of those stereotypical things that people say about Leos, like um, very confident. They've got the fire and uh, got that like um, protective, like den mother, you know, loyal lion kind of thing. Totally. A Leo is a great friend and a formidable opponent. So... Thank you. What's your sign? <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. Oh, I am a... so is my sister-in-law. Does that mean... Okay, what's what's she like? What is that like between Well, she two? is a dragon in the Chinese astrological. Yes, and... me too. Yeah, really? Yeah. So, I don't know if this is true for you, but like super sweet and then could kill you. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so I'm glad you know me well. Um, uh-huh. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yes, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. We 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 lead with love. We are loyal to death. But yes, if you cross us, it only takes one time to cross us. I feel like why be a fool? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, sweet. So yes, I'm a Scorpio. Um, Love Leos. And actually, I'm going to talk about a Leo that I love later who also works in food. So this kind of makes sense. Um, But first, I wanted to kind of start from the beginning, um, the beginning of your birth. But really, I want to start because I was doing a little research and I was so pleasantly surprised to see that your mother worked in food and she was a food critic at New West and also a cookbook editor. At Simon yeah. & Schuster? That's which, right. Yes, which makes so much sense as to kind of your own career trajectory. But can you talk a little bit about what it was like having the mother that you had who worked in food and how that impacted um, how you viewed f- food? Oh, yeah, definitely. In so many ways. Um, you know, one thing is just like having a mom who had a career. Um, I don't think I really put that together for myself until I was a working mom, but it was to me just very normal and expected that both of my parents were 
um, had their own lives outside of the home and, and worked and, you know, had had their own career development. I think that that was so important to both of them and gave them, I just remember a lot of car rides sitting in the back of the car, listening to them both kind of catching up on Fridays about their work week and talking about office politics or what their plans were, what they were working on. And, um, and as a grown up, I realized how, you know, full her life was right. You don't think about it necessarily as a kid, like what the life of your parent is. But I think it was really important to her that she like had kids, but also had a job and had her own income and her own career. So she's been very inspiring that way to me, but she's also an amazing cook. Um, and so I grew up, you know, eating great food because, um, she was such a good cook. And she also, because part of her job was to eat out and she was friends with chefs. So we went to restaurants a lot too. Um, and I think that that shaped me for sure in just, um, having had a lot of delicious tasting food and loving being in restaurants, but also, um, once I started cooking, I, I didn't necessarily have the skills to cook, but I knew what good food was. Um, Mm. So she's inspired me so much in that, in that way. I love that. And if, if anyone listening (laughs) knows people who work in the restaurant industry, knows chefs, like knowing a chef or a restaurateur (laughs) is such a game changer for how you go out and how you dine, because it's a totally Totally. different experience. (laughs) It's a totally as a kid, we would go out and the worst thing that could possibly happen when you're a kid is that the the waiter comes over to the table and says, oh, the chef like is so happy you're here tonight and he'd love to prepare something for you. And like as a kid, <laughs> I learned what that meant was like, I'm probably not going to have fettuccine Alfredo. And he's so bummed. <laughs> Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, I'd be like, oh no. You know, can I just have like blue cheese dressing? My ideal <laughs> dinner was like a wedge with blue cheese and, you know, fettuccine Alfredo for my main course. Still very solid. Yeah. Still a, still a solid <laughs> meal. But, you know, aside from your mother um, working within the food industry, you also grew up Italian American. Mm hmm. Yep. And did you grow up in New York? I did from, we sort of, um, I was born in Los Angeles. Um, and then my parents moved back and forth from New York to Los Angeles, like always for work a couple of times before I was eight. And when I was eight years old, we moved back to New York, like, um, as for, you know, for good, but my parents grew up in Jersey. So they were like mm. East coast people. Um, but when they got married, they couldn't wait to get out of New Jersey and kind of like, <laughs> You know, you get into Manhattan and um, uh, and start their life in the city. But it, yeah, Italian American household, um, and so food and wine, like you know, it seems stereotypical to say, but for us, it was very true. Like most holidays, most gatherings, um, you know, had a food or a meal or a specific dish that would anchor that that time together. Totally. I, I would assume that that being Italian-American has impacted your sensibilities, obviously around food, but um, specifically now that you have a little time in retrospect to think, do you think it impacted how you approach motherhood? Oh, that's interesting. Um, 
Oh, no one's ever asked me that question before. I, you know, probably in the sense that um, family was super important. And there is, I think in Italian families, like the role of that matriarch role as being kind of the anchor and a provider and definitely like the, the, the person who nourishes. Um, and my mom is very much that person for all of us. And, and I think my relationship with, with food and motherhood, I talk about this a little bit in my second book, a lot of my idea of motherhood, I have this image of my mom cooking meals for us that she didn't necessarily eat with us. Um, so there was like the dinner she would make us on my sister and I on Saturday, like early, and then she would cook a different meal for her and my dad. So there was this sort of like, you know, if you were sick, there was a certain food that she would bring me. Um, or if you were, you know, celebrating, there was a certain food that she would make. So there was a lot of like cooking around nourishing and like showing love for other people through these, these acts, um, mm. that were like very, um, you know, there's a lot of physical pleasure, obviously, in eating. So I've definitely equated like emotional <laughs> support with through you know, food. Yeah, someone cooking for you. And yeah. and then when I became a mother, like um, the, you know, when you're pregnant, you start thinking about what you're putting into your body because that's what you're you're feeding your child for the first time before that child is even born. Um, right. So that was sort of like the first time thinking about how I nourished myself was I actually nourishing my child. And then through breastfeeding, it was even more like, oh, I like I literally am the food. Right. <laughs> I've, be <Yes. laughs> I've become the food like it doesn't get any more intense than that. <laughs> Agreed. And I, I when I became pregnant, I was gosh, I feel like I'm about to tell myself, but it's OK. I am very cautious and conscious rather of what I put into my body. Sergeant, my son is two and a half. He has a much better diet than I do. Not that mm. I eat poorly a bit. He's like primarily plant-based, probably in similar to, you know, a lot of what you spoke about with your mom cooking different meals really resonated with me because I'll definitely prepare something for Sergeant in terms of what I think he needs or, oh, right. you're going, you know, he started school. So let me make sure I fortify his body with certain things. And then like, totally. I might end up eating something not so great <laughs> or just something different sometimes. But when I was pregnant, a funny breastfeeding story, I, you know, you go through all the cravings. I decided I wanted to eat McDonald's. I ate McDonald's. I breastfed Sergeant and his gas was horrific. It was mm. like smelled unlike anything he had done before. And I was like, oh, this is the McDonald's. This is awful. Wow. I've got to make better choices. Like maybe not McDonald's while I'm breastfeeding. I'll just take right. the McDonald's backlash, not so much for Sergeant. But um I, you know, your career trajectory, um, I'm really curious about because you went to Brown and you mm -hmm. studied, I believe, culture and media, modern culture and media, modern culture and media. Yeah. Yes. Which I mean, obviously food is a huge part of culture, but seems like maybe a bit of a departure before going to culinary school. What did you think you would be doing when you went to Brown? What was your idea? Yeah. Of the future? Yeah. I did not think that I was going to have a career in food for sure. I thought food 
you know, was something I loved and it was definitely became a hobby. Um, I started cooking for myself in college just because uh, that was the first time that I wasn't eating all these great home cooked meals and realized cafeteria food, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> left something to be desired. So I had to figure right. out how to eat. That was really when I started, you know, asking my mom, like, how do I make this? And she would talk me through it over the phone. But I studied modern culture and media, which was part of the art semiotics program. And, you know, I don't think I was thinking about what I was going to do after college. I think um, college is one of those times where you, one of the last times, if you're not working through college, with both, both of my parents had to kind of work their way through college. I had, you know, this very luxurious experience of, of going to school and not having to work. And you can just indulge the subjects that you're interested in. And Mm -hmm. um, I was reading a lot and like doing critical theory and taking like feminist literature classes. And um, I was having a great time. (laughs) Like (laughs) I wasn't, I don't think I was, you know, my dad would sometimes periodically when my grades would come home, he'd be like, so, and he would see my, you know, transcript of like what I was taking. And he'd be like, poli sci and I'd be like no and he was like what about like master of science and I'd be like no (laughs) (laughs) and as long as I got you know good grades like he kind of let me do that um and I worked in book publishing immediately after college um I worked for this small independent press in it called Grove Press and I like moved to Seattle to work for them and then I came back to New York um and I, um, sorry, they were called Bay Press. It was, I worked at Grove Press when I moved back to New York, but I was really bored and like realized <laughs> in my first jobs that this thing that I thought, like you get a liberal arts degree and then you do like something, you know, in books or magazines and my parents were journalists. Um, but I really, I just was really bored by it and didn't, um, I did, I didn't feel any inspiration really from it. And that's Mm -hmm. when I went to culinary school and realized that the thing that I was interested in could also be, um, the thing that I earned money doing. Um, but I really, it's ironic. Now you started talking about, you know, my mom being a cookbook writer and, and an editor and working in food, which is so parallel to where my career ended up. But at the beginning, when I became a line cook, I was like, oh, I'm doing something so different. Like, I'm really, you know. (laughs) You thought you were very original, right? I am not my mother. I'm working. I'm hardcore, like working in restaurants. (laughs) Like my mom wrote about food, but I'm like a hardcore line cook. (laughs) (laughs) And then 10 years later, I was like, oh, yeah, I turned into my mom. Okay. (laughs) As probably 90% of us do, (laughs) (laughs) no matter how unique we think we are. I was like the punk rock version of what I thought, you know, um, having a career in food would be. Like when Anthony Bourdain wrote the article that that, um, Kitchen Confidential was was based on, you know, I was Mm -hmm, a line cook mm -hmm. when that article came out and everybody was talking about it and like, what it meant to like work on the line and the picture that he painted (laughs) of this like lifestyle and like how, you know, gritty and like underdog it was. And, um, 
yeah, that's really, I thought like I, I was so different from, you know, the career that you were, I think you're like, I had in mind. Yeah. Right. And I got my degree from Brown and then I was like, it doesn't really matter when you look at what I do for a living. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting to me. And after having worked in food, there's a lot of parallels between chefs and rock stars. I mean, I think especially <laughs> now <laughs> mm-hmm. because chefs now have this uh, platform that we didn't see before totally. with social media, with television, where now it's like I'm a chef and I'm a personality. And so, yeah, on top of the late nights, on top of sometimes the drugs, like on all the things that kind of are a part of the world of being, especially a chef within a restaurant, Um yeah, chefs are kind of like rock stars. And it makes Absolutely. me right. It, it makes me think about um, when I worked as <laughs> I worked as like an executive assistant slash sous chef to Chef Lauren Vanderpool, who was on Cool Moms. I always bring her up because <laughs> she's hilarious. She's also a Leo. This is the Leo chef. Um, okay, And she's a she's a vegan chef. She's a plant based chef, but she is a star in her own right <laughs> by by every every sense of the word but I'm thinking about a time when I was working um for her and I remember she told me to I think I was supposed to be making candied pecans some sort of candied nut and they were going to go in these little bags it was for an event she showed me how to do it and she's like okay I gotta go run these errands I'll be back do all of them and I'm like cool so I'm making them in my little like shitty DC apartment. I'm probably like 20, 21. And she comes back and she's like, Elise, everything is wrong. This is oh not my. a candy nut. Like I didn't, maybe I didn't melt the sugar. It was gritty and grainy. And she was mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm, yeah. And she was, <laughs> we'll say she was disappointed to put it nicely. Um, she yeah, was pretty disappointed. And then- Nuts are expensive. And like, of course, the event was that day. So sure. Right. Of course. So I think a lot about about that time and like really dropping the ball amongst a few other times I dropped the ball when working with her. And so I would love to know about a time where like the stakes were kind of high and you dropped the ball in the kitchen. Oh, I mean, there was one (laughs) night there's one night as of being a line cook that I it haunts me. Um, and it was, it was just, um, I think it was a Saturday, right? So Saturdays were especially like the, usually the busiest night of the week. This was when I worked at Union Pacific. And mm-hmm. on Friday, I left at the end of my shift on Friday thinking I was so set up for Saturday, like that I was so ahead on my prep that I had like um, extra of everything I needed and that I didn't have to come in as early as I usually would on Saturday to like Mm. do all of my mise en place. And I, I don't know why I was so confident. I was just like, I'm like, you know, with like the shift ended and you look into your low boy refrigerator and kind of count all your quarts and stuff. And I just remember looking in there and being like, I am so set up like I am I have never been so set up and so instead of coming in at 11 a.m the next day I like rolled in at 1 p.m but I was like I'm good like I barely I barely just I I just have to like unpack my stuff put them into my 
put them into my cooler and like set up my station. And whatever I thought I had on Friday night, when I came in on Saturday, I realized it, it was either like mislabeled or somebody else jacked it before I got to work. Like everything I thought I had, I didn't have. And I had to start this mm. process of these like super long cooked onions that if you rush them, they tasted horrible. And I didn't have the puree that I, I mean, I was just so screwed. Oh, and so, yeah. And so when service started, um, I was still like doing my mise en place, you know, oh. and then service started and it just never, it was just like, you, I just got clobbered. Like my station yeah. just, it seemed like every ticket that came in was like, I couldn't get a break to get ahead. Um, and I remember sending this one dish up and it was these, it was these onions that were supposed to be like cooked super low and slow. And they had um, a lot of ground turmeric in them, which mm. you know, looking back when like turmeric became like a trendy ingredient, I was like, I couldn't eat turmeric for years and years because of this night. <laughs> <laughs> and I sent up this dish that had the turmeric onions and they were like half raw and they hadn't been cooked out with the turmeric for long enough. And the chef, um, and he was a really good sous chef. So he would always taste everything that came up before it went out to the mm. diner. And I mm -hmm. saw him taste, um, taste my food. And he turned around and looked right in my eyes and said, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted. And I was just like, oh, shit. And he was like, not wrong. You know what I mean? It was just right. one of those things where you're just like, wow. Like, I don't even, I can't. He, and I now I have to keep going. Say. And you just have to keep going. So that night, um, that was a real lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just, yes. Huge you need lessons. to be prepared better early and have some downtime than rolling in late and having the worst day of your life. Yeah. Well, you know, that was the yeah. ego that had that got you messed up. Your ego was like, oh, oh you're good. Totally. <laughs> you did. And like probably now, ever since then, I'm like, even if I think I'm good, I'm like, no, I'm not good. <laughs> like, every video I do, I'm like. I don't know what I'm doing every, you know, every time I sit down to write something, I'm like, this is a joke. I don't know, even know why, you know, how I'm going to pull but this you, off. And, but I love yeah. this because I feel like I'm seeing so many dots connect. Um, just now thinking about your first cookbook, uh, which is where mm -hmm. cooking begins uncomplicated, uncomplicated <laughs> recipes <laughs> to make you a great cook. And and you have this very kind of like laid back style that feels really welcoming and feel doesn't make you feel intimidated to cook. I think it's like a, such a super strength of yours watching you cook. And you're like, OK, I know she just made this. It's I mean, do I don't know. If, yeah, we can do it. I can do this. I can do this. Um, can you talk about um, what the process looks like? Because we know. Cooking in a kitchen can be stressful. Cooking on a line can be stressful. Cooking in mm -hmm. front of a camera is a totally different beast. I'm particularly interested in what does it look like? What does your your space look like when you're cooking to do recipe testing or you're just like cooking to try things out? There's no camera. Yeah. There's no one timing you. Are you cooking with music? Can you kind of like set the scene kind of like an artist in their studio? Totally. Yeah, it's such a different... Um process depending on what I'm cooking for. 
Um, and what I loved about working on Where Cooking Begins was that the recipes in that book were things, for the most part, I had made many, many, many times. So um, a lot of the recipes came from um, the origin of them was just like things that I did at home when I was just messing around and um, things that tasted good to me. So it was it was this really nice process when I was working on those recipes to be like, oh, yeah, this is that this thing that I make a lot. And now that I'm working on the book, I have to make it again and kind of measure how many bunches of Swiss chard I use or, you know, kind of get, a, you know, have a timer with me so that I can add those things um, to the recipe. But it was really nice to do things that I had done before and and I could just pay attention to what was happening in the pan while I was cooking it. Cause I, I knew where I was going, you know? Um, yeah. the second book is a hundred new recipes and I did not have like a hundred <laughs> <laughs> extra. Recipes was that your idea? <laughs> um, I think it, they wanted, I think the publisher originally asked for one twenty five, and, um, I, in my contract, I was like a hundred. <laughs> I'm not, there's no way I can do 125. 125 is a lot. The people who do oh, 125, yes. I'm like, wow. But even to do a hundred, the process, I, I was really kind of starting from scratch and I spent a long time at the beginning of the, that book process, working on my table of contents and really working on how I was going to organize the book. And then working on ideas of dishes that I wanted to belong in each of the chapters. And a lot of it was stuff I've never made before. Um, so when I started cooking for this book, these recipes I made once, twice, three times, you know, to really get it to what I thought the image I had in my brain from the beginning, or there were some things that I made and I was like, yeah, I'm not into that at all. Um, and abandoned some dishes and then some dishes mm -hmm. I just really, really changed, but I like a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Podcast or a playlist. Um, I play, I don't know. I bounce around a lot. Like right now I'm into these fat boy slim, um, like playlists where I Wait, just, what? Yeah. Fat boy slim, like I want to praise you. I want to, that was fat boy slim, right? Yeah. Or was that movie? He I has a, he has a, um, he has a show that he DJs on Apple music. I don't know. They're two hours long. Nice. They're good. They're good for the gym. Like anything that works at the gym for me also kind of works in the kitchen. So oh, yeah. another, yeah, yeah. Another playlist on Apple music that I really play a lot. My kids are like, can we please all listen to this again? There's a, um, there's a hip hop R and B playlist that's from 1997 and it just brings back so many memories. And also it's like, you can't believe 1997 was like, <laughs> it's like yeah. every song is like, this was 1990, this was 1997. <laughs> um, so I listen to that. And then I listen to podcasts that might, that kind of veer between, um, comedy and like um you know like hardcore like politics uh like really? Rachel Maddow or yeah I listen to Rachel Maddow or like Slate Political Gab Fest or I want to mm -hmm. listen to stand-up stand comedy yes 
Okay, I mean, those are very opposite ends of the spectrum between politics and comedy, but maybe there's also an intersection. <laughs> like, we also could laugh to keep from crying. So Exactly. Like, um, yes. being informed and then, like, needing the relief and the release from that information. Yes, yes, yes. Osea puts your health and the health of our planet first with potent skincare and body care solutions that are pure, safe and effective their skin nourishing products are made entirely of plant-derived ingredients are non-toxic and a great choice for moms to be you know so much of my we were speaking a little earlier before we started recording um and i was talking about how i tap out or tap in um do you know just to kind of maintain a sense of mental well-being being and I will give all credit because she's going to kill me if I don't give her credit. So I'm just going to give Cool Moms producer super credit for putting me on to Bon Appetit many years ago. Um, and watching Bon, bon Appetit videos is like one of my tap out, just like let me yeah. get lost in this world of food. It brings me so, yeah. so, 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 so much joy. Um, and watching awesome. you <laughs> is awesome because especially I think on like verticals like back to back. Um, yeah, where it's like non-food people and you doing your thing. And many people, I mean, maybe not many people, some people can cook. Very few people can also teach one how to cook, mm-hmm. let alone blindly. So mm-hmm. that was always fun. And of course, we miss you. We miss you on the screen. You know, um, to, 2020 has been a, sh- a, sh- a year, I think, of reckoning, of unearthing yeah. a lot of shit that we need to deal with, with on a macro and micro scale and Bon Appetit obviously was like not absolved of that um, with so many changes (laughs) happening um, and losing some of our favorite people that we see on the screen but we definitely still have you so if if you can speak at all to kind of that time and what how did those huge changes at Bon Appetit maybe affect you're cooking how you view food or even if you considered not wanting to work in the industry again yeah. Um, so many things. One, thank you for saying that, you know, those videos were a source of pleasure in even in a way that wasn't necessarily about cooking, but just was kind of like an escape. Because um, I feel like entertainment does that for us. And there's there's shows that I watch because they just make me feel better, put my, you know, let my brain turn off for a minute. And I think we all need that. Um, and I think people like watching people cook, even if you don't get up and start cooking. It's like, I watch, um, like makeup to weird makeup tutorials, which is a thing (laughs) that I'm, I'm not very, I don't, I'm not like very good at, but there's something very soothing about watching the process. And then, you know, it's kind of like food, like you're doing all these little steps <laughs> to get to yes. some end. <laughs> and then it's like, and that's the final look. Um, I think <laughs> the, you know, what happened with BA um, was so hard because I, I worked there for, for a long time. I had so many close friends as part of my work environment. And when the fallout with, um, the work environment at BA with the racism, with the um, pay discrepancies, with the, you know, 
um, intense kind of unequal treatment of hosts in the, in video, but also a lot of issues around recipe um, perspective and choice and like what, um, what types of recipes we featured in BA when that all happened, we had been home because of the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. there were these kind of overlapping like traumas um, around what had happened with work and with all of our lives and um, our jobs and not being able to see each other. And um, it made it so hard to go through the, convulsions around everything that was happening with the workplace and then also not be able to um, have face-to-face conversations with my colleagues who were all having very different experiences um, with what was happening. So that, you know, was just really, it was upsetting. Um, There was a lot of things that made me angry, but there were a lot of things that had happened that really made me have to sit down and have real long talks with myself about my own behavior, um, where I was, you know, really able to see my behavior in a different way that was extremely painful, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it now going through it. Like I, I'm glad that it happened, even though there were things that came up about my own actions that I am, you know, definitely not proud of and wish that I could undo. So then going kind of moving through, like there's anger, there's a lot of grief, sadness and embarrassment, and then kind of moving into like some of the important stuff, which is I now know about my state, a lot of mistakes I made and I can't, you can't undo them. Um, but it's important to like not, make the same mistakes again. And that, you know, sort of took me to, um, what was ultimately like the easiest decision. And all of it was about not being able to go back to video, um, at the end, you know, in the way that, that the company I think wanted to resolve everything. And, um, some people were happy with the way it was resolved and able to move forward, but it didn't, it didn't all line up for me. So, it's tough, but, um, and I miss, you know, the, I miss people. Um, cause you know, a lot of us, like we haven't had any of us the experience to be able to go to a place and see each other face to face. I think that's been like one of the hardest, the, the biggest losses for me is in that, um, you know, connection to people who I care, care a lot about. And some of it is like people move, you know, a lot of people in the pandemic have like moved and, um, (laughs) you know, just aren't, we can't even like meet here for a drink because like people are in California now or in Mexico or Maine or wherever, like people are all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Thank you for being so transparent. And I think that um, it speaks a lot about, you know, someone's character when difficult moments come up, but you're able to kind of like turn the lens back onto yourself and say, okay, where do I need to evolve, you know, as a human? How do I operate as my highest self and, and, and continue to do that and challenge myself? So 
Thank you. Um, you know, we miss you tremendously on this screen, Thank but totally you. respect, <laughs> you know, respect where you're at with that. And I'm also wondering, as a mom, um, what did you kind of translate those conversations and talking to your sons? Did that open up larger conversations? Oh, um, big time. And yeah, yeah, that was another big part of it was like being at home. So they were home. I was home. They were hearing all of my phone conversations. I was obviously like talking about it a lot with my husband and trying to talk about it a lot with my kids. They had been in some of these videos with me. They knew all my yeah. coworkers, you know? Um, and it was, you know, I think they saw me at like some really low lows and I tried to be as transparent as possible with them about what was going on and my, my role in it. Um, and at the same time, you know, there were um, Black Lives Matter protests happening every day. Um, we li live really close to Barclays Center. So that was like a daily main hub of, of activity. Um, my son and my husband were doing bike protests. Um, so it was just like a lot and a, a lot of opportunity to talk to them about um, trying to be better, um, you know, having awareness around the issues that were happening in politics, but also in this workplace. And they helped me a lot. You know, I think the thing about having a teenager and an 11 year old, like, I don't know, they were, they were really, really smart and, mm. um, and like thoughtful. And also I think trying to like be, be better, you know, and also going through their own version of um, looking at their own school and like pointing out problems that they see there with the, with the administration or with the, the student mix or, or the pressure that you get as a teenager to, to the right thing on social media. We talked about that a lot with, um, with my older son, where his friends are kind of like, how come you haven't posted about this, this, or this? Mm, like, you right. have to like, yes, you have to, you know, you, you have to say something. And then he would be like, I'm a white guy. Like what <laughs> it like also part of it is like me not speaking, you know, and he's yeah. sensitive enough to be like, actually, shouldn't I just shut up <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. and feeling this pressure to like, Sometimes. but you still have to say something. So what's the thing that you should say? And like, that's really tricky, you know, as mm -hmm. a teenager. And I was going through it, like social media went from being a very friendly, fun place to like, uh, um, you know, maybe not right now place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it turns into the gauntlet real quick. <laughs> I was like, real wow, quick. when you're hot, you're hot. But when you're not, Ooh, when you're not, <laughs> yeah, they are ready to throw you to the wolves without a doubt. But like, yeah, how powerful of your son to be able to recognize that, though, and be like, you yeah. know, and I think it's something many of us adults are still trying to navigate, like social activism, social media. Right. Right. Where, how do those two worlds collide? Because, you know, you also don't want to be performative. And I think, right. Um, mm -hmm. right. And we're seeing a lot of that. And it's easy to fall into those traps. You know, it's very easy. But again, 
you know, seeing someone with such um, a huge platform like yourself, not just say, hey, what's going on at my workplace isn't okay, but saying, hey, not only am I not okay with it, but this is how I'm going to make changes to make sure that I'm comfortable with the work I'm doing, I think is super admirable. And more than anything, that that's such a great lesson you know, as a mom to teach your kids, you know, leading by example, for sure. Yeah, there's things that like you also do in your personal life that you're like, if it's in your personal life, it's not going to be part of social media, you know, people and people, people want to know, like, what are you doing about X, Y, and Z? And it's like, I'm doing things, but there also there's a lot of, (laughs) there's like (laughs) personal one-on-one conversations that frankly, are like nobody's business, but mine, you know, Um, right. And, and finding the right, sometimes you just need to be able to say, like, I don't know what to say right now, you know? Yes. 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 So important. Um, But, you know, we are excited for you to come back and wondering, (laughs) wondering, will we see you back on our screens anytime soon? Will you make a return um, in some capacity to doing video work? Yes, 100 percent working on that now that like the bulk of the work on um, book two is done. um, The shoots are done and the recipe development. There's like a nice period um, in in the in the production of the book where the work shifts away from me. So um, the designer is designing and the copy editor copy edits and you kind of get this like, Oh, I'm over the hump, you know? Um, So I'm working on videos and I will um, be able to announce that soon. Um, But, you know, they're going to be much more um, personal because it's just, it's just me (laughs) Mm -hmm. in my house. I'm not, you know, I'm not rushing back to like, um, be part of a different big brand right now. And just taking this time to experiment a little bit and like to do things with video that maybe were ideas that I thought were really great ideas, but the people who are in charge of the ideas, um, didn't see it the same way. So, you know, having a little bit of time and, and experiment experimentation to be like, no, I actually do think that's a really fun idea. And like, I, if I can just figure out how to do it, then I can just do it on my own. So and you're like, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, uh, then I only have myself to have a look back meeting with and be like, well, <laughs> <laughs> well Carla, you tried it. Well, and Carla. Like, <laughs> right. This was a cute attempt, but not this time. Wait, listen, Carla, because last night, speaking of you tried it, um, (laughs) last night, now this could be me, so I could be telling on myself, but it was late at night. I had Mm -hmm. like done my little, smoked my little joint to calm down Mm -hmm. from the day. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at your Insta story and (laughs) you had like a montage of videos where you spelled the word hiccups and then you... (laughs) And then you pan to a cat. And I was like, what is going on, Carla? What is this me? Is it me? That's so funny. What was, what was, I mean, I will say it was odd 
but I felt also connected to you in some sort of personal way. It's funny. It's like some of those things you're like, the people who think this is funny are going to think it's funny. And then the other people, it's just like, unfollow. I'm sorry. It's okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it doesn't work for you. Um, Yeah, I think while you were having your little joint, I was like, you know, Sundays might as well be Thursdays, might as well be Friday. (laughs) I I had had um, an outdoor like at four o'clock, but it was pitch black because now it's daylight savings. I'd had a cocktail and then I had a glass of wine with a friend and then I came home and had like a couple more glasses with dinner and then I got the hiccups. (laughs) Um, Yes. Which if you're just tipsy enough, think is like amusing. So totally. I was amused. I wasn't, I wasn't quite (laughs) tipsy in that way, but I was super amused. So thank you. Just want a little, want a little backstory. See if that's something we can anticipate more of in your video, your experimental video content. A little, you know, unfiltered. Um, Yes. Yeah. I, whenever you post a video like that, you'll get a ton of DMs with um, hiccup remedies. There's, oh, there's yeah, so many. everybody wants to fix things. <laughs> yeah. People were like, yeah. bite a lemon. I had like breathing exercises other people were telling me to do. And you're like, no, nah, I just drink wine. It's cool. It's fine. Just, it's cool. It's It'll cool. go eventually go away. Yes. Um, do you have the name yet for your second cookbook? Um, I do. And I think it's the name, but I think my publisher is going to get, um, would get mad at me for saying what, okay. what we think we the name like is right now. Okay. But, okay. but, um, soon enough. And like, as soon as I'm allowed to, to say what it is, I will, I will make sure to post that, um, on Instagram. I think probably I'm trying to figure out pre-orders won't start for three or four months. So, okay. So we'll great. Well, we'll that's like something that. to look yeah. forward to in yeah. 2021 is Carla's new cookbook. Thank you. Which yeah, it's a phrase that came from um, our family life. And it's something my dad says all the time. So that's where the inspiration for the book came from. Ooh, okay. Yes, personal. We love it. <laughs> and <laughs> before we get into our next segment, I would love to close things out with um, what has food taught you about yourself? Food has taught me that actually I had a creative skill um, because as someone who is tone deaf and can't draw and is just a pretty (laughs) average dancer, um, I I always kind of, I don't play an instrument. I just didn't think that I was quote unquote creative. Um, And when I started cooking, I realized that it's a technical skill that also was a way for me to express myself and um, experiment and try different things. And I realized that that was my creative, that was my creative skill. So I think that's what I've learned from food. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you're creative. We see it all the time, but yeah. Awesome lesson to learn. Um, If you'll stick around for our next segment, Ask a Cool Mom, we've got a question from our Cool Moms community. We have Jasmine, who is 34, from Arizona, and she's the mother of a nine-month-old girl. And she writes, uh, my question is during this time with holidays coming up, would it even be wise to travel with my now 10-month-old? 
I'm really having family withdrawal. I don't want to be reckless and I would like to take every safety measure, but I'm also like going insane. Such a good question. (laughs) Right. I'm sure a lot of people feel this. I think a lot of people, whether they're getting on a plane or not, are really thinking about how to be together and what the holidays, you know, mean if you don't gather under one roof. Um, And I think everybody has to measure that for their own family and for the people that you're going to be with. Um, My parents are in their late seventies. My dad is immunocompromised. Um, What it means for us to get together for Thanksgiving, you know, is complicated because it's, there's no amount of risk worth um, possibly bringing COVID into their house. So it's funny because I think the gatherings are going to be smaller this year. And I think that there's definitely ways to travel safely. Um, I know a lot of people who have gotten on planes and been totally fine, but, you know, can you get to your destination and um, have a few days to, to make sure that you're okay or get a rapid test before you, um, join up in somebody else's household, you know, those are the kinds of questions that I think a lot of people are asking, or do you, um, you know, quarantine ahead of time, knowing that if you're super safe for the travel portion, you're probably going to be fine. I don't think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, airplanes are where a lot of people are transmitting. I think going to a bar is a lot more risky than getting on a plane. But I'm not a medical expert. But I mean, thank you for thank you for saying it, though. (laughs) Yes, that's a really tough one. It is a tough one. And, you know, I also think it's probably a year where a lot of folks are going to start new traditions and figure out how to pivot, whether that's maybe, you know, we cook a meal together. We cook a dish together on Zoom or on FaceTime on some sort of video call where we feel like we're connected and we're doing this activity together. But maybe we can't be face to face. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, it might be a relief for people to be like, we don't have to make the whole turkey. We can make two chickens. And it's yes. still what's important is like the connect, the connection or the time. Um, I've had a lot of Zoom, like, you know, lunch and coffees and drinks with people. And it's really nice, you know, and it's like, I mean, it sounds callous, but like, it's better than being dead. So do it over the Zoom. <laughs> Carla. Yes. I didn't that's know like that's where that was going. But yeah. <laughs> that's Legit. literally what my therapist said to me. He was like, there's, there's being dead and then there's everything else. So it really helps put things in perspective when you're deciding whether or not to like, in my case, it was about going to see my family. And I was like, oh, well, when you put it that way, it does make the decision making. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And just like getting us, you know, creative and how we stay connected. Um, Yes. Like like this virtual conversation between the two of us on different coasts. Um, Carla, thank you so, so, so much for your time and your energy and your candor. I know that this conversation is going to resonate with so many folks. So we appreciate you and we love you at Qualms. Thank you. It was 
my pleasure. And I'm really glad I felt like we were, I feel like we were in the same room. Oh, good. I'm glad. That's why I have my wine. I should have told you to get it. Well, maybe you didn't want a cocktail right now, but uh, (laughs) I had my wine. I had a big big glass of hot water. So I was, yeah, it was good. All right. Well, show me up. That's okay. I had some Lambrusco for the two of us. (laughs) Until next time. not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom.